Welcome to Outside the 9 to 5. I don't know what that just was, but this is Kevin Hartnett. And I'm Colton Richards. And you're listening to the Outside the 9 to 5 podcast. A show where we discuss the challenges we face on a day-to-day basis with our careers, relationships, and fitness and nutrition. We'd like to keep it light as we discuss some of the life battles we, and I'm sure some of you, deal with on a daily basis. So sit down, strap in, and enjoy the ride. It's live. Does that look good? Yeah, it looks good. Good All right. Episode 75, Christmas time. Got the snow falling in the background. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas, Kev? I, I never do. Santa never delivers for me. No, That's I'm the text kidding. I sent him. I I'm said, just kidding. Yeah, of course I did. What was your best, What was your favorite gift? My favorite gift? My sister got me these new this new knife set, actually. She got Alice Cooking and I, set? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, some heart, Hankel knives. Is that familiar. Japanese? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't think Hankel is a very <laughs> Japanese-sounding last name, but... Yeah, so thoughtful gift. Very thoughtful. Yeah, psyched for it. What about you? Best gift? Um, that's a layup of a question. Just hanging with my beautiful mother and my family. Oh my gosh! Look at that. It makes huh? me sick. <laughs> Look at that, huh? I'm gonna make this introduction and let's get into this thing. So, this is someone whose advice is probably mentioned most frequently on that the shows, the podcast, the most important in my person in my life. Apologies for that, Kevin. And Reese. And one of the most thoughtful, caring, and patient people I know because she put up with me for 25 years of life. Welcome to the show, my mother, Maureen Dukes. All give right. Her give her a clap. Give her a clap. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, I've heard so much about the podcast, so I'm excited to be part of them. Have you listened to it? Occasionally, yes. I have listened to some of them. It's funny you say I'm so happy to be here. We're literally sitting in your house right now. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> taking it over. We've taken it over. She's cooked clean for me, so I'm happy that she allowed me back into the house for the holidays. Very kind of her. Because I left her. I did leave her. You did. You went down to the dirty south, man. It is. It's dirty, but uh, you never know with this new job thing going on. Well, I sort of knew you were destined um, when you would ride around on the stick pony oh, at God, your brother and sister's soccer game with cowboy boots and cow- a cowboy hat on. I'm sure when we're done, Kevin, I can dig up a few photos of that. Oh, uh, we'd love to interested. see those. We'd love to see those. Yeah, just for research purposes. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was sort of destiny. You know what? Yeah. That hurts, though, Mom. That hurts my prospects at a girl coming into my life now that we're going to be posting. Or maybe it improves it. Who, who knows? Know. Who knows? They want a cowboy, a stick-riding cowboy. <laughs> There's somebody out there for everybody, dude. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Give yourself a shot. So we talked about this before the show, Mom, but I just want to kind of set the stage for the conversation. Obviously, we want to make this as much about you as possible, but I think one of the really unique things that a lot of a lot of my life learning has come from what you've taught me, and obviously, I digest that information one way and kind of articulate it or regurgitated on this podcast and i think it'd be cool to just eventually after we talk through your story get to some of the learning experiences you've taught me how you've been able to teach me because obviously i'm a very stubborn individual and like just some of the ways you coach me through some of the difficult situations that i've had in my life or just you know the evolutions of my life i think that'd be cool for the listeners to hear but with that can we just take it back to amish country in the childhood (laughs) Oh, wow. You're from Lancaster? From Lancaster County. Oh, wow. And all the people questioning if 
We're Amish. Uh, let me clear that up right now. We are not Amish. <laughs> My God, we're starting to shrug. I was getting worried when, when I pulled in. There was a horse and buggy. In the there was. That usually is the first or second question that yeah. most people ask me when they know I'm from Lancaster County. So, no, we are not. We are Pennsylvania Dutch, um, but no Amish. No Amish. Is that, and to be clear, is Amish a religion? Amish is a religion. It's Christianity. It's a lifestyle. It's, a lifestyle. <laughs> it's definitely a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's like ball is life, Amish is life. <laughs> same, same thing. There's some crazy shows on the Amish lifestyle. On like Yeah, Breaking Amish? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's hardcore. They go on Rumspringer, I believe yes. is what it's called. I, I I know a decent amount about the Amish. I don't know why, Kev. <laughs> He's a research type. I understand that guy. now. Um, so with your childhood, I know it obviously involved House of Pizza and mini golf up there. But yes. what uh, what were some of the biggest influences on your life? And let's just start with people maybe first with your upbringing. Like I know your father, your yes. mother. I would but. say, yeah, my dad was a huge influence on my life. Um, he was grew up in a one-room farmhouse, went to Penn State at the age of 16. Yep. When he was able to be eligible for the Army, he went in 18. Yeah. So comes out on the GI Bill, which allows him to finish his education. He yep. was a very poor farm boy, and he was the first in his, coll- in his um, home to go to college. Okay. So I sort of followed in his footsteps. Yeah. I went to Penn State. I became a health and phys ed teacher, mm. so he had a very big impact on my life. And you talked to me about kind of the way he's portrayed, at least it seems. I mean, he was principal of the local school district, like my grandfather was, and um, it almost feels like this mayor-like mentality to him. Like he knew a lot of people. I would have to imagine being the principal of the school district, did a lot of fundraising for the church. Was well, a big I think influence. the impact comes with – Lampeter Strasburg, which is in Lancaster County, was a very farm-oriented community. Yeah. He came to Lampeter Strasburg as an ag teacher yeah. out of college. That was a huge role yeah. for the young people and uh, the farmers in the area to have their sons taught a very important skills of the trade, which is like agriculture. Yes, so he knew he he knew most of the people there, and he really in my mind that was a much bigger role than being principal of the middle school Mm. so that's where his influence i think had it for me was the fact he was with people he was changing people's lives yeah and is that why you ultimately pursued a career in teaching yes i i went into health and phys ed because i loved physical activity and really the default was becoming a teacher yep. because I went to Penn State with aspirations of we purely are. playing Olympics yeah. for the field hockey yeah, team. Yeah, I know. I got cut in the first round mm. of the varsity tryouts, so there went the Olympic dreams. Yeah. Oh, wow. So if you can't make the first round of <laughs> Penn State, you're probably not going to make the Olympics. Yeah. So I pivoted, and that's where I thought, well, if I can't do that, as a life um, goal, I can certainly help other kids be physically active. So that's where that went. So then why – and did you have something if you want to ask? No, something. no, no. Go ahead. Um, did – so why did you change from physical education to psychology then? Well, it was a progression. So I taught for a number of years health and phys ed, and it was by far – the most interactive and rewarding. If you can think back to your elementary school and your phys ed teacher, yep. 
that was probably the best aspect of your day other than not even close recess <laughs> by far yeah. right 100 yeah, percent. i mean you are no math <laughs> <laughs> yeah science yeah like i walked in and all i had to do was look at them and everybody sat down everybody was in their squads i mean it was a tremendous experience but there was always that group of kids that were troubled yeah and i couldn't seem to reach them like physical activity and being involved with other kids and playing with them seemed to not be what they needed mm. and so from there i went back and got my master's in counseling so i was an elementary counselor for a number of years and again there was that subpopulation of kids that I couldn't help. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe if I have data, maybe if I do testing, mm. that that'll help me uncover some more of the answers. Yeah. And that's why I became a school psychologist. So I've been a school psychologist for the last 18 years. And there's not many, I mean, I think this is something you taught or at least told me, but I don't know how many almost PhD level psychologists there are that are your age as women, right? It's a pretty... Well, well, how many schools have a on staff psychologist? Is it every school or because I mean, not that I was Kevin like, needed some help. Was, <laughs> <laughs> not that I needed help in high school, but I guess I never searched for that resource, even though it was there. Is that is that normal? Is that, is that typical? It's becoming more and more um, popular. Okay. So at Garnet Valley, when my kiddos went through there was one psychologist for all of the schools yeah and where i am now there's a psychologist for every school but i think that's a reflection of the demands and society's sort of acceptance that there's more need than just um testing for gifted or yeah. testing for special ed because that's how primarily school psychology started out was right. I'm the only one who does those kind of tests. Yep. But there's a much broader need for the mental health part. And it, 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 this is what I think is interesting about mental health, though, is I don't know if parents are even equipped enough to handle kids with those issues a lot of times. So they need to lean on someone like you is what I was saying. Yeah, a lot of times it's a bridging. It's helping the child and helping the family it's a unit in yeah. any mental health component there's a whole process involved yeah and that that's why mental health is so difficult if if you want to make a habit change and you decide that you're going to go out and run tomorrow there's not a whole system that keeps you from that mm. with mental health there's usually a component where everybody's part of a cycle or a role and that's why it's hard to change. What do you mean cycle or role? Sorry. So if you're, no matter, you ha all of us has, have relationships. Yep. And within whatever relationship we are, we have a role. And when we change that up, if we, if we want to make a change to our habit or a decision or a life decision, yep. you're carrying with you all the yes. expectations of whatever it is you've been before. I see, I see what you're saying. So it's gotcha. much, much more difficult to make mental health changes yep. than probably any other change that you'll make. And I don't know how forgiving the system was 10, 15, 20 years ago for kids with that. It, well, there was a stigma. Yeah. And there still is. There's still a stigma, no matter, even though we talk about it more. Yep. 
if I have to make a phone call because a child has been talking about suicide, it's much more of an emotional reaction than if I call you up and tell you your child has a DRF and they're failing science. Yeah. So yeah. it elicits a huge reaction. Yeah. Do you think that'll ever go away, that stigma? Because I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't see in my mind that ever going away, but maybe you have a solution to that. Is it something that prevents people, right, from seeking that yes, type of help? Absolutely. And and what I think what I try to explain to my students when I speak with them, I talk about everyone's mental health is on a continuum. So any of us could be in that crisis or that extremely stressful situation if we don't have the tools to deal with it any one of us yep. so it's right. it's no different than when you first learn to ride a bike you crash and burn it's the same thing with learning skills for mental health if you're having a very difficult situation and maybe you've made some choices that aren't as healthy it doesn't mean that you can't practice some other ones but you are going to crash and burn on occasion it's not as though it's a skill set that magically comes to you you have to learn it and you have to practice it and that's where it because i can't give you a blood test i can't give you a pencil and paper test it's that really gray area that make a lot of people very uncomfortable with mental health yeah i mean that 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 whole the way it's categorized even in itself just trying to figure out maybe what the underlying issue is to begin with is a mystery um, and I, I feel like in a lot of a lot of different situations you mentioned tools and practicing I definitely think early on with at least with sports it makes a lot more sense right like you practice on a daily basis and eventually you can do some things you weren't able to do before for from a mental health standpoint it, it seems almost like hard to grasp what what to practice and what the outcome of that is so is that a stigma that that some people struggle with around whether you actually need to like just the concept of practicing these these concepts for mental health yeah and i think we many times we get ourselves jammed up in the mental health process because we expect too much of ourselves. If I if I've gained 20 pounds and I get on the scale, hopefully I'm going to be a little kinder with myself that I realize I got 20 pounds overweight one day at a time. But when we have a mental health problem, somehow we think we need that magic pill we need that magic explanation or that magic solution to change how we're feeling it's no different than any other situation you're in you've gotten there gradually and you need to allow yourself the time to to back it up to undo it and to put replacement skills in place and i talk to my kids about that all the time if you come in and there's something that you're not comfortable with a habit or you know something about your life those things don't go away magically and i'll just use food because that's a typical thing if you're not happy that you use food sort of to to comfort yourself and you want to replace it with something <laughs> She's else looking at me <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Wait. 
but it's a very common thing. Yeah. Like in yeah, the movies, you is. see if somebody's broken up with you, what's the girl get out of the freezer? Ice cream. Ice cream. There we go. Without Without cream, maybe. Yeah. 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 In a rom-com, maybe? Why not? <laughs> it's a very common thing. But the thing, you can't just extinguish that. Like, I will never eat comfort food again. You have to develop a replacement for that. Yeah. So what else can you use? We all you got to have a skill. So the ice cream isn't the skill set. So try some other tools on. Try some other skills out to see what could be the replacement for that. Rather than thinking you're going to magically be, you know, not do that behavior ever again. Right. I mean, and that's what you I mean, when I have issues with that, you're like, listen, it's not white and black, which is I mean, I don't even know a life that's not white and black for me, but it's like gray. You have to deal with the gray area. That's honestly hard for a lot of people to hang in is the gray. It's very difficult. That's the most. It's mm-hmm. easier to be black and white. Right. Because it's either good or bad. Yep. Right or wrong. Mm. Where in reality, the, there really is nothing in that of mental health of the rightness and wrongness. It's really what works for you and what's healthy for you. Um all of us have traits. All of our traits have excellent components to it and others, the same trait that's not. And yeah. you and I have talked about that. Yep. You know, you being laser focused in many situations has been a tremendous asset. Mm. And in other situations, it's been a detriment. Yeah. And it's a learning process. Yep. I would say that's probably been the biggest focus of the last four years is probably my mental health. Wouldn't you concur with that? I agree 100%. And I think that's it on your trip, on your journey to fitness. Mental health is just as big of a component on your journey as as physical eating, whatever it is, you got to pack along the mental health aspects too. And I think that's why physical health is such a widely talked about area for people maybe struggling mentally is because everything is in your control, or at least that's what I enjoyed about it. Right? It's not like external circumstances really affect you going to the gym, what you in theory, it shouldn't necessarily, no one's forcing you to put food in your mouth, right? Like those are all decisions that you have the opportunity to control. Yeah. And we talked about that in the terms of magical thinking. What? That when the dozen donuts showed up in your bedroom. <laughs> and she means a dozen. She means a dozen dozens. <laughs> a couple baker's dozens. <laughs> that you were under the control of making that decision to go get them and bring them back thousand percent and eat them and eat them yeah that there was not a magical force that was creating that it was a conscious decision that you did yeah And, and many times i think when we do things that we wish we hadn't done we try to push that responsibility off somewhere else yep and in reality, you do yourself a favor by owning it because owning it means you can change it. But then let's get into this. We talk about this this aspect of maybe Kevin I's generation a good bit, but it's like this victim mentality. Why do so many people, if the only way to actually solve the issue is to actually own it, why, why are so many people our age just wrapped up in a, a victim mentality a lot of times with school debt, with the job they didn't get, with the weight they have on? Right. Why, why is that the way people lean? Because I think if you don't have the skill set, you opt for the victim. Right. So if, if I have the tools, I'm much better off in how I can approach that problem. 
but I think people look to become the victim rather than figure out what is what are the tools that I need to, to handle that life situation. Because today's might be debt or overweight. I guarantee you there's going to be tomorrows yeah. that have different problems. And those skill sets, those tools that we talk about apply all along the way. Yeah. But you have to take the jump in. And I talk about the toolbox all the time, yep. tools to have in your toolbox. In in different situations, you need different tools mm. and you have to practice it. Yeah, uh, you keep mentioning tools. Could you elaborate a little bit more on the tools? Like what are your top five tools that you keep in your toolbox? What are Marie's <laughs> what are, what are, what are top five tools? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a, a lot of different tools. Understanding that the human mind is pretty different on a case to case to case basis but yeah if you wouldn't mind just going in that a little bit well i think a huge tool uh is having someone that you trust to talk to and that person is a true friend in the aspect of you can talk to them they'll honestly reflect back and give you the information the way probably you need it you may not like it but it's something there that you can use. If you don't have, and many times my kids don't have somebody to talk to that they trust, right. then we talk about journaling. Hmm. Okay. You know, or writing a letter. If someone's done something to you that you can't get over, write them a letter, tear it up and throw it away. Because the letter was never for them. The right. letter the letter was for you. <laughs> that's that's profound. True. Yeah. That's profound. Yeah. No, I love that. So those are three. Any other ones? Yeah. Always, I always talk about physical activity. Um, and it doesn't have to be you run out and run a marathon or any of that. I, I would recommend an that Iron Nike <laughs> or an Iron Man. <laughs> we go for a walk. <laughs> I remember that Nike commercial years ago that yep. I talked to Colton about. I thought it was fabulous. And then people didn't like it because the child was overweight. It said, find your greatness. He went out, he ran probably half a mile in this commercial and all below it said, find your greatness. To me, getting exercise and feeling some kind of accomplishment doesn't have to be by anybody else's yardstick, but your own. Mm. Yeah. You you uh, were pretty active back in your day with, mm. with marathons. Um, ta talking specifically about the physical aspect, can you talk about maybe how that influenced you and how you used it? Well, and I think it was, even though it sounds like a different career path from health and phys ed teacher yeah, yeah. to a school psychologist, right. but if you think about it, there's a tremendous thread of health that goes through there. Mm. So physical activity has always been very, very important to me. Um, I ran in high school in KEDS there, because for women, there really wasn't that aspect available. Yeah. Um, you know, they didn't have the sports equipment. They didn't yeah. have anything for women. When I went to Penn State, we couldn't do more than a mile because they were afraid it would injure internal anatomy so <laughs> wow <laughs> how far we've come wow yeah. yeah so you think about that's crazy the biases yeah. that were there yeah that's crazy but mm -hmm. so how, how'd you get into running man and the marathons i don't even remember you telling me this. um just because somebody that i my first husband yep. was a cross-country runner i met him at penn state yep. and so that was a natural progression 
we would run together pretty much every day. How many did you do? A couple. I no, I did one marathon. Philadelphia. Yep, Philadelphia marathon when it started out in Ambler. So we okay. we ran in from Ambler um, and up the Schuylkill Expressway. Yep. So it was definitely challenging. You ran up the Schuylkill. Up the Schuylkill. They oh, closed man. it down, and I I think I told Colton <laughs> I still I still remember trolleys coming around, and there were guys crawling, and they took the foil yeah covers scooped them up and then took them back and i'm like at that point i'm like what am i doing here <laughs> <laughs> i'm waiting for the trolley <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's funny and so you stayed with running i mean pretty religiously for what 30 years many years so i was when i started running track and then it became more of a distance so i was probably 16 years old i ran religiously into my 50s until i had some arthritis stuff happen yeah i mean i would say even for us kev just reflecting on running but it's i don't think i've ever felt more mentally clear than after a run even though we love crossfit and i've never felt more mentally euphoric almost after running yeah i'm gonna go with a hard pass on that one for <laughs> really? Me. Really? yeah i mean there's yeah. every once in a while i had my uh, good moment on a run but I feel like mine were way fewer than yours. Yeah, probably. probably. Uh, but it's interesting you mentioned the physical aspect because I think it's extremely discounted uh, when we're talking about mental health. And there's a lot of, from my experience, a lot of resistance for those types of people if you tell them to get active. They don't necessarily, maybe they don't understand the connection between the two. Or there's a lot of resistance, like, no, I have this mental health issue. Like, I don't have a physical fitness issue. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? Yes. Like, I, I, in my life, when I've talked to some people around me that have struggled with mental health battles and tried to present that as a possible route to improve that situation, it gets shut down pretty quickly. So maybe how do you present that to somebody um, and what situations have you encountered where you get some pushback on that, if there's any? Yeah, and I did try. I had a few children who had some health issues that I tried to do sort of a fitness and nutrition component with them, and I, I can agree with you. There's a tremendous momentum that they feel is, a, is, is just an effort beyond what they can provide. And I think when you think about mental health, mental health has that anchoring. Like it tries to stop you from moving forward. It's an identity. You just, you're stuck. Yeah. So not only are you stuck mentally, you're stuck physically. People who aren't happy, people who are depressed tend to sit in isolation. They're, you know, they're not out in the parties in the public. I mean, they've, they've isolated, they've withdrawn. So that physical aspects of not moving and not engaging in something is a is absolutely a projection of of mental health problems so how do you bring it up in a way that maybe helps them alter their course one degree well usually most of my kids like music right so one way is while you put on your pair of headphones put on your best tunes and go out and walk for three or four songs right so incorporating the thing that they enjoy and putting a physical aspect to it mm. 
to help sort of begin the process. And then it, it has an innate ability to swing the whole cycle. Like all of a sudden, wow, after four songs, that was nothing. Like I'll, I'll walk a couple more. I mean, yeah. it, you hope for that immediate sort of sense of goodness or change that they feel, and then it builds on itself. And do you ask questions? Like what gets them motivated to do that? Like where do they find that motivation? Well, we just set, and I always, always present things with plan A and plan B. So we'll talk together and we'll come up with a plan A. Yeah. And that would be going out tomorrow morning, walking with listening to tunes for five songs. Right. If that doesn't work, what could our plan B be? So that way they don't feel like there's this total investment in one thing. And if I don't do it, I fail. Right. So plan B could be, how about you journal for 10 minutes? Hmm. So you always try to have something that's obtainable. Yeah, that's a great point because I I feel like people in that situation are so fragile that it's, that's why the momentum is so heavy in one direction because it's not like – it might look like they're not trying, but I think deep down they probably are. And every day that they wake up and they don't do something that they wanted to do, then that's just more momentum in the opposite direction. And, and so that's a good thought. And mental health, people can't see the effort it takes from you like when you're struggling with a mental health issue the amount of effort it takes from you and and I think Colton we can talk about this a little when we were you were getting ready for the job and and right. all those parts like the crash afterward was something that was incredibly difficult this past like yes a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. okay go ahead so with your mental effort you didn't go out and run a marathon you mm -hmm. didn't do anything physically that would have impacted you it no. was the phys it was the mental preparation the mental effort well someone who has mental health problems has that same draw and that same taking away from their ability every day that's how do you even operate like that and that's what happens so we go yeah. to them hey just you know go out and do this and do that well if you're not struggling with mental health every day you have no idea of the exhausted level that you're trying to ask them to now do one more thing that's an amazing analogy yeah. that's wild i couldn't even alex is like alex, alex is clapping the, alex she's got her pom-poms in the back <laughs> She got her pom poms back there. No, I can totally concur. If you in that, I mean, I don't. And so, what would you say? Crazy. Not to say that I'm saying this, but what would you say to someone who's in a hypothetical? Who's, <laughs> but some a, a lot of people take this. Well, they're just making an excuse, like they're just using that as a crutch. Like, what would you say to those people who say that about? Help me cl person. clarify what is it is they're using as a crutch, Kevin. What do you mean by that? Oh, maybe they're in this case. Maybe this person would say <laughs> they're using their <laughs> mental health as a as a crutch or an excuse for them to not do something. For them not to change, or for them not to do a physical activity, like for them not to change. Sure. Okay. Well, it would be the fact that they have something that's a barrier. If if I could. And I've said this to parents time and time again. If I could put a cast on your kid's foot and you go out and tell him to run, I can say to you, but he's got a cast on his foot. He can't run. 
mental health is a barrier and people because you can't see it people tend to say oh it's just it's just an excuse you're you're not willing to change so therefore you're falling back on this thing because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real mm. Man. Where do you get it's that getting level? really Christmassy? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you believing is seeing? <laughs> Where do you get that level of empathy? Because I think that's probably something you yeah. and I lack for others. Maybe sometimes not lack, but sorry, we don't have the contextual or like level of knowledge in this industry that you do. Like, where do you come up with that empathy? Just learning education about it. Just through the years. What I've seen is as children have come into me, the things that aren't barriers to maybe other kids are barriers to them. So their mom and dad had a fight two weeks ago and this kid cannot get over it. Yeah. So it's as, as true and real a barrier as to him as it is to the young man that comes into me because their father committed suicide six months ago like just because okay. you and i validate it and think wow the six month you know dad killing himself six months ago is definitely a legitimate barrier we're putting on our we're putting on our judgment huh. of what is or isn't a true barrier yeah that's so interesting because like in just naturally like i'm like okay that kid deserves some time off yeah but, but maybe the other kid doesn't just naturally but it, it's I understand exactly what you're saying. It makes complete sense that what, like for us, maybe a, a, a marathon isn't that big of a deal, but for somebody who's never ran before, yeah, running 26.2 miles is a big deal. And it's your lens yeah. that makes right. the judgment, right. not theirs. And it's really, they're the ones. And, and honestly, it's been remarkable to me how different each kid is based on the what they've experienced and how it's become a barrier or not and and it the things that hang kids up for years that really you look at it and you think wow they should have been able to work through that but they can't a hundred percent no, it's fine. We play through. I mean, we have Reese barking. Yeah, yeah. It's Reese a Lancaster is... County clock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now we have we have tea. We have to break for tea. <laughs> Wild. I don't. I mean, I, I'm just. I'm learning a lot that I didn't even know about. I, I think there's a level of empathy I didn't exercise prior to just talking about this with you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, were you gonna ask? A question? I didn't have a question. Keep yeah. Going. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you. What do, What do you see? What's What's the most common? I guess mental health obstacle kids are facing or have faced over your time period as uh, school, school, psych school psychologist. I was going to say psychiatrist, but they're definitely different. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would absolutely 100% say social media without a doubt has been the, the biggest impact to my kids. I can see that, that I yeah. have a Alex also. somebody agreeing in the <laughs> crowd. An avid fan. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and not to not to discount the benefits of social media. And Colton and I have talked about this before, but particularly adolescents, because I'm in a middle school, they don't have the filter nor the ability to critically think about the information they're getting, and they are on 
social media 24 seven. So, and I talk to parents about this. There's a subculture that goes on in the evening. So mom and dad are in bed and the kids are on wherever they are, on Discord, whatever platform. You're so hip, I mom. Am. You're hip. Yeah, you know way more than us. <laughs> you got to stay ahead of uh, your, you, the kids yeah, you're working yeah, with. Yeah, you're, you're like on the social media before they even know what's going yeah. to hit the right. market. Wait, is that Mrs. Dukes on there? <laughs> she, she's in the metaverse. Watch out for um, But that has been the biggest impact on my middle schoolers mental health is they they don't they can't turn it off they believe that everyone's life is a hundred percent better than theirs they think everyone else is thinner than they are richer than they are having more fun than they are and an old person like me who tries to talk to them about it i can't discount it it's hard for me to say to them no that's not real yeah because that is their reality yeah and I mean, my number of kids hospitalized, the number of kids committing, you know, trying to commit suicide. When I started 18 years ago, I might have had one child hospitalized during the, my one, you know, the school, that school year. I'm easily at five right now. Oh, my gosh. And this is December. Whoa. That's crazy. And what causes the, the, the suicide? Just believing that they are insufficient in certain areas based on what they see or? Well, no. Usually when people are suicidal, in no way do they wish to die. Okay. They wish for the pain to stop. And the so they just... Got it. If And many times when I've talked to children, that's how I phrase it. Do you, do you have is the wish to end your life so that you don't live anymore? Or is there so much pain that you, that's your only way out. Hmm. And every one of them says, there's so much pain, I just don't see a way out. Yeah, I can only imagine if social media was, uh, middle school was a nightmare for me. So let's <laughs> let's add social media to that bucket. And that, that's a whole different <laughs> concoction right there. That's It's crazy. It's crazy to think that, how aware are parents of that issue? Are they just oblivious? They're aware that there's something going on, but they don't know the extent. I mean, Colton, you probably can remember in high school, there might've been the beginnings of what in my age was called like a slam book. Like it was nasty things that you yeah. said about each other, yeah. but you didn't have to come home and necessarily live that now on the internet. Yeah. These, these slam books of old are now there all the time. All the time. For forever, yeah. And, and it it has a life of its own because yeah. even if you're not on, one of your friends may be on and they let you know that somebody just posted something negative about you. Yeah. I, I can say a little bit at least about my high school and sophomore, junior year. I mean, a lot of the situations I had developed pretty – I mean, they, they were ignited a lot on social media. Me saying horrible things about – this person I was in like a uh, argument with basically, and everyone was involved on the thread. So I, I get it, but I can't imagine it. I mean, I didn't know anything about myself in high school, but I can't even imagine that going another six, seven, eight years earlier in my life. I couldn't even imagine mm -hmm. how that plays out. Yeah, I think this is a broader issue that not only affects kids too, I think it definitely affects a lot of people our age. Mm -hmm. So. 
I guess what what tools are you giving the kids? <laughs> <laughs> What's in this tool? <laughs> and what could Toolbox. what could people maybe our our age do to um, better handle these these apps, social media, whatever you want to use to call it? Well, as difficult as it is, I do think there are those times you have to unplug. Because I think when you unplug, you then have a sense of trying to sort of re-equalize. Because you can find yourself getting sucked into it. Right. And then once you unplug, it gives you that opportunity to let some other information in. If you let it consume you, you're only hearing what's coming in from other resources not your own judgment not your own thoughts and that's because you've sort of given it up to the social media platform so i'm bug kev hang up and hang out <laughs> yeah you know which you guys know you've heard that i'm sure yeah i mean i'm definitely i could definitely do a better job at that so i guess i've just always started to i mean and this is strictly my advice i can't say it works but i always just look at it as a tool like my instagram account is always like i just don't look at it as a way to escape ever it's like for me it's like who am i learning information from and what am i posting to better my social media brand mm -hmm. i guess I, I don't know why i've developed that mindset but i don't know just a thought well, yeah it's a good mindset and you're older right. but if you're 11, 12, 13, Not a 14. Shot. Not a shot. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. You're totally <laughs> unable yeah. to do that. And parents need to step in. And, and that's where if you want your kid to have a phone, go buy them a flip phone. Right. An yeah. iPhone is not a phone. An iPhone is a computer. Supercomputer. Yeah. It gives kids access to unlimited information. So many times, you know, parents go, well, you know, I want my child to have a way of contacting me. And I'm not discounting that. Get them a flip phone. Right. Get them yeah. a phone that they can call you and you can call them. But it's difficult when they have unlimited access to the Internet yeah. for you to know what they're doing 24-7. True. And how much do you think is, is, is it important for the the foundation of the family? Like, I, I feel like people with really strong families, maybe the, the kids don't struggle as much with, like, the whole dynamic of social media because they feel so loved, so included. So they have uh, maybe a good perspective or a well-rounded perspective because of their their family. I think that could be another huge aspect yes, of it. That's a tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Because parents step in. They see that there's a problem because it's a slippery slope from enjoyment to all of a sudden, and it's becoming a term, which I think we'll eventually we'll see, is sort of that addiction. The internet, the whole yeah. component is addictive. Yeah. Um, so you, I think a strong family unit definitely has the ability to realize when this kid can't do it for themselves, that mom and dad unplug it. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a treatment for any addiction, right? It's like family, love, care. So that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like disguised, right? It seems like it's not a big deal, but clearly it's, it clearly, it's a huge deal. Huge. Most of the times when I talk to parents about their children failing classes, without a doubt, they'll say to me, well, I know they're playing video games till 11 or 12 at night. Like I was, so what do you? What was the issue? <laughs> <laughs> and I, 
<laughs> World of Warcraft uh, was a dick thing, man. I was a level eighty mage. Don't st- I don't know what that is. I was I was cool. Yeah. Oh, great, dude. oh, just kidding. I was a lizard. <laughs> but so sorry. On that, what would your response be to the parents in that situation? Is unplug it. Oh, unplug it. Okay. So, and I'm not saying you don't let them have access. Yeah. If they, I mean, it's it's a a compromise. You say. John or Susie or Colton, you finish your homework, and after your homework's done, you can have an hour or two. Like, you have to put up some parameters. Some, some boundaries. Right, because other kids are on, yep. I, I'm going to tell you. And, and adolescents have a tremendous fear of missing out. See, I mean, so do adults. The social construct of the world is like, yeah. you want to fit in. But as a kid, your job is to. I mean, that's that's the problem. Adolescence, social development is for them to learn how to get along and be part of it. So that's why this is such a tough thing. Yeah. Because once they get through that developmental phase, when they're in high school and college, they've they've sort of overcome some of those hurdles or created an identity. But when you're in the midst of that adolescence, that's Mm. your job. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally agree with that. I mean, the fear of missing a FOMO has gone away over the years. I mean, we Cle- are, we have three people we're surrounded by. So, yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly, <laughs> clearly, it's gone away. But I remember, like, thinking back to them, it was the objective was to like go to as many things as you can, a thousand as you percent. physically can. We're trying to get as many things as we can off the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now we're trying to just slim it up, real slim. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so one thing I want to get into, and maybe we're transitioning this more to like our age people with Kevin and I is, can we talk about the difference in our financial outlook? I don't know if it's as different as maybe, I think I've talked about it on here, but I think you tend to be a little bit more conservative leaning with respect to the financial situation. And I tend to be on the side of risking it to get the biscuit now at this stage of my career. And can we just talk about, uh, I don't know, it's a big 180, but what what is... What is your, where does that come from? Like maybe, maybe it's, I think it's more conservative, your, your stance financially mm-hmm. versus mine. Is that just experience? Well, I think if you look, I, my father was a poor farm boy. Right. My mother's parents, they were sharecroppers. So they lived in tents. She didn't have a home until she was in high school. So That's they, just insane. they moved, picked cotton. And finally, by the time she was older, they had a home. So the, my upbringing was vastly different. In my house, you know, you didn't waste anything. When my parents died, cleaning out their house was like going through a museum. Like anything they ever had was stored somewhere. I'm talking T-shirts on T-shirts on T-shirts. Dude. Yes. Really? Oh, man. Wow. I think it took a couple months to clean out grandma's house. Yeah, and that's that was because when you grow up poor, there's nothing that you waste. Right, right. Where your experience is a little different. You had a little my, I had a better security than my parents. Right. You had a better financial security for the most part. A hundred percent. Than I did. Yeah. So your perspective on money and spending and saving will probably be a little different. And the reason I bring this up is because I would say almost 90 to 95% of things we discuss is like we share a very similar outlook for at least me personally. And I would say this is 
the one five percent degree where I'm slightly a little bit more risque. <laughs> Come on, dude! dude you're you're smile. You're risk lexicon right now. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to add risk it to the biscuit. To our risk questionnaire. But are you are you conservative? Or are you risking it for the biscuit? I'm risking it for the biscuit. But but I think it's interesting for someone who I believe you know um, is a huge coach and a huge advocate for everything I believe in. Ninety five percent of it we agree on. We find this one little different component, but it doesn't mean that I don't trust her with everything else we talk about. So it's just an interesting. It's a it, it's an interesting nuance. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's funny. Well, I, of course, you both are at extremely different stages of life. So yeah, for sure. That's that's <laughs> sure. one thing to consider. But it's it's so funny how consistent that approach to money is for like people whose parents were like depression era parents like, yeah. that were born in that era, and they pass along these these values of like saving everything, like saving just rubbing two pennies together to, mm-hmm. to save it and it's a it's a really cool thing to see because these people are able to save a lot of money but then when they have to go spend it it, it you can almost see the like uneasiness it's it's almost an exercise trying to get people to spend their own money right be like you have more than you need you have more yeah. than you need yeah you can't take it with you so maybe let's let's buy something nice go on a family vacation you can't afford to do that so and here's what i think just for again maybe our generation of kid i just don't necessarily think the same tools that work for her are going to work for our generation based on how things are going to be monetarily 20 30 40 years from now i don't think you can scratch pennies together to get to an extremely successful financial situation 40 years from now i think you got to make a lot more money to be able to facilitate the type of retirement that she's going to have well yeah yeah i I agree with with part of that i think people get lost in like the piece of oh i have to make a lot of money but when how do you make a lot of money you save money and then you invest it right like most people don't that i don't know why that concept gets lost so easily but to invest and to make more money you also like at the same time you have to save money so saving money is just as important as investing but without either one the the equation kind of flops out right bottom line she's got me investing a proper amount of money in my 401k there you go anytime colton would let me know that he had some extra money i'd always go that's awesome don't yeah. forget to put one percent away we'll, we'll your own. <laughs> get to that company match right there <laughs> that's so funny that's good advice that's good advice so uh one question i do have here because i think i don't know if we've ever asked this to you know like jeremy or any of any of the people that have been a little bit older that we've had on the show it do you have any regrets? Because I've heard it answered differently in different episodes and podcasts I've listened to. People would say straight out no because they're happy where their life circumstance and this moment has brought them to. But I wanted to ask this to you because I feel like you would give us a genuine answer. Do you have any regrets or moments you would have slightly altered for the course of your life? I would say my biggest regret is having put my kids through the divorces. That was never anything. I mean, my parents were married 43 years. Yeah. I, in my wildest dreams, never anticipated one divorce, let alone two. You know, all my friends from Lancaster have been married forever. You know, they got married right out of high school. They've all, nobody's, you know, it's sort of like the scarlet letter. Yeah, Yeah. Because it was something that just doesn't happen. 
So my regret yeah. is what I worry about is the impact to you and your brother and, and sister. And I would, and this is only me personally speaking, but you've heard me say this a million times, how important is that like strong foundation of a family for me just in terms of, you know, that drives me every day and what I do at work. It's like, I want to provide a foundation for my family where something like that money is not an object of something that causes concern for my family because I saw what it did to us. Um, but and you don't take 100% responsibility for it, though, do you? Because there's two people in that, in the divorces, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? But I guess I probably, I do recognize that there were things put in motion that I didn't have, like I had to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. In both of them, I had to make a decision to rescue or keep the family together. Um, so I, you know, I do feel... a a huge sense of responsibility even though i do understand there were things that were outside of my control yeah that's tough that's tough thankfully i haven't had to make the, any of those decisions but yeah i mean looking back on my family's relationship and my mom and my dad had a pretty fractured relationship throughout my whole childhood and honestly i wouldn't Although, like, looking back on it, it's always ideal to have two parents that get along and they you know, <laughs> sail into the sunset happily ever after. But it almost made me who I am, also for the good and for the bad. Um, so, I don't know. I I think back on that and I'm, I always think to myself, if I take that away, I don't know if I become the same person. You know what I mean? Is is And this is another question I just had. Is marriage too put on a pedestal? Like, are we meant to be with one person forever? Like... You know what I'm saying? Like it's so you would. I mean, you were married. How old were you when you first got married? Twenty. Twenty-one. That's what I'm saying. And then you married my father at thirty. No, uh, yeah, thirty. Right. So like, I mean, I am a vastly different person. Imagine me getting married at twenty versus today. Are you kidding me? Like you getting married right now sounds <laughs> crazy to me. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it's like okay. I mean. I know I'm just throwing this crazy question, but is like marriage supposed to be forever, like for, with one person? I'll let you take that one. I don't know. I'm, I don't. Actually, I mean, I've never thought about it. I've never thought about it until right now. Well, I can only say from personal experience, it it wasn't because of me not. I didn't choose to leave because I wasn't in love with that person. With that person, I chose to leave because of things that had happened that they did, and it. And it, there was no, the first one, there was no option. Yeah. And then with your dad, it was a matter of, I needed, I really needed to save the family. Yeah. And what do I write every year in my Christmas letters? Mm-hmm. You're the glue. Every time I mm-hmm. tell you that. The glue. The glue of the family, I swear to God. <laughs> and I go. And it's something I reflect on. And it's something I'm very proud of my mother for. I love you, Mom. Mm. Oh man! You guys gonna hug? Uh, I I, I was just gonna I was just gonna add my two cents on that. I think I think don't tell my mother you love her. (laughs) Weirdo. I think I I think it's possible a hundred like a hundred percent. You just have to find the right person. And yeah, and I think it's super important to understand who that person is before you decide to take those those steps in getting married. Because, uh, I mean, you've seen. I think our generation has taken a little bit more time to, which I love, to push in, push that off a little bit, which I think is a a good thing. 
I mean, people can get married early and, and still have very successful relationships and things along those lines. But yeah, thinking back to like who I was five, six years ago, I was like completely different person. Yeah. Um, I think it's a positive. You're right. Is that we're getting married later. And to, to your point, mom, it's almost the trajectory of the people. Like it's not necessarily that you didn't, I, I don't know necessarily you changed, but maybe the other people did. Right. Like, well, and that is, I mean, to be honest, no matter when you get married, you're going to evolve. Right, right, you're right. Gonna, and if you don't, that's a problem too. Right. But you're going to evolve. So the marriage in itself has to work to evolve together because it's way easier to let yourselves both go different directions. That's way easier you're right. yeah. than working together. And that's probably why you see divorce rates so freaking high. Yeah. Great, great time to be a divorce lawyer. <laughs> Some of my most successful clients focus just with <laughs> divorce A's. Divorce A's, I swear to God. I want to ask you about one specific character trait because it's profoundly uh, utilized in my life. But where did it, the, the note gesture come from? That's something that you and I have definitely done for each mm -hmm. other for a long, long time. But where did that start and why did it happen? Um, I don't know why it started other yeah. than it was just something i wanted you to take along in your day yeah yeah um and it seemed to me to be something that was more of a sort of a surprise it's, it's then you know love you colton have a good day like yeah. sticking something in your lunchbox or you know in your suitcase before you left it seemed to be something i could take send with you yeah in your day it's my favorite it's one of my favorite things that you've done and mm -hmm. i i mean i write i wrote notes to kevin and alex when they went on like a long vacation yeah <laughs> remember i yeah, do so remember i miss you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great it's nice to have it's it's definitely it feels way more genuine when you get it in a note yeah than just in passing or even so text and it's a surprise yeah. yeah like oh he took time to think about me and make the effort to do something Concrete. I leave notes in Kevin's laundry. Oh. Yeah. Alex does leave notes in my laundry. All the time. Pretty much every time. It's every time. Yeah. Usually uh, it has my macros on it. Yeah. And, and it has a nice, nice note. That's so. when she started putting macros on your launch during the Ironman training. I was like, I know. If this, that's for, if that's not for forever, I, I don't know what is. I don't know. <laughs> this needs to be in my dating profile. You must make lunch with macros. There you go. Um, do you have anything else? I was going to get into maybe some of the tools that uh, that you've helped me instill in the last five years, but I don't know if that's going to. Do you think it's going to go long, or what do you? I don't. I don't. I don't care. What? I, I think this one's worth going long longer. For, okay. You know. All right. It's so, your mom, bro. It's my mom. I, was... I have. I have a quick question <laughs> to her though. Go you ahead. mentioned one of the other tools that you can use is to talk to other people. I feel like one of the biggest difficulties there is for that other person to be respond in a in a correct manner or in a way that helps that other person that they're trying to be a sounding board for how do you do that because it sounds like when you when colton talks to you about it <laughs> you do a, pre, a pretty good job so i just figured you know you might be able to share some nuggets as to how you approach those situations well colton knows usually the first thing i say is what do you think? Yep. Mm. <laughs> or what I hear you say. What I hear you saying is. <laughs> um, because I think most times when you're talking to someone, you've already had in your mind 
if it's a solution, you know, something, I think you already have thoughts of what you think you would do or what you would say or what, it's not like you're truly going to that person just to get their information. Right. In some ways it's to get affirmation. Um, and so before I share anything, I sort of need to know where Colton's coming from. And the same thing with kids who come in. You know, if, if, if there's a problem that's happened, I want to know what their view of it is. Who cares what mine is? Mm. Like, I need to hear from them first. Yeah. Because that's where the solution lies. Not within me, within them. Okay. But what if their solution is a harmful consequence or result? And I guess the, the, the process to that is, is how, where do you think that's going to get you? Like, how does that solve the problem for you? Got it. So let's say somebody's going to beat somebody up after school. Yeah. Okay. They're mad at Johnny because they did whatever. So we talk about what does that look like? Mm. Like, how is this going to play out? Right. Because usually when people are in a situation, in a problem, they just want out of it. Yeah. They want it to end. They don't really think about what the long-term consequences or where does that ultimately get them. So you try to help them sort of project and see what that future could be. And it, is it really a solution? Got it. Okay, so you almost like take them down the different routes they have, yes. hypothetically. Decision, decision yeah. tree. So okay. I'm not making it for them. Right. And they may ultimately say, I'm going to do that. You know, and so then I see them the next day because they're suspended. But, you know, I mean, ultimately they were going to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. So why not at least open up option B, option C, option D um, that they could think about? That's one thing you do a lot, especially when I'm heated with something at work. I mean, this is all the time, obviously. <laughs> Very much in charge. But she's like, a lot of times she'll say, because I have this preconceived notion of what I want the answer to be, a lot of times I do want some sort of affirmation. And I've got a good context of like how to think with respect to work a lot of times. But she's like, well, have you thought about this manager, this person thinking about it this way? And then I'm like, wow, you're right. You're right. Like the option, the different paths that mm -hmm. I didn't even think of. And I think we all do that because we know what we know. Yep. And obviously everyone else thinks the same way we do. <laughs> but I mean, really. why wouldn't they? Right. But, <laughs> but it's fascinating. It's been fascinating through the years of being able to talk to young people and the truth that they put on things. Like, And a, a good example, many times when parents have broken up or they're getting a divorce, Many times the children say, well, you know, it was my fault. Huh. And you sit there and you're like. How is that possible? That's great. It's just, but that's their reality. Yeah. That's the, yeah. that's, I mean, when you think about it, all of us to a certain point have, you know, we think we're the center of the world. So therefore if things went off the grid. It was something that we did or something they did. And in reality, most times it has nothing to do with them. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying is that person who's supposed to be almost like a sounding board, you they shouldn't be providing any solutions, right? They should be helping the other person present the solutions and find their own path. Yeah. Correct? So the hardest part is you have to listen to what they're saying and not yeah. put overlay your 
solution. Yeah. Because your solution probably isn't going to work anyway. Yeah, you're probably right. But usually I'm like, this is what you got to do. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that's probably the biggest obstacle for me when I encounter those situations is this person co- is coming to me with a problem. So I'm going to solve it all the time. Or I'm going to help. I'm going to help them solve it. And I don't necessarily approach it that way, which I feel like is a way more helpful way to approach a situation. When do you have those hard conversations, though? Because one I have written in our notes here is, I mean, you had a pretty frank conversation with me with not making the soccer team. You're like, dude, like you're a little out of shit. You're a little, a little chubby, man. Like you need to lose some weight with the soccer team. I mean, that was a frank conversation. I don't know that that's one I got the answer to myself. I think you pushed that answer on me. Well, you you knew it because your coach had sort of shared that. Okay. So it wasn't something that was unknown i think it to me that day was very traumatic to you so it may not necessarily your memory of it may not be the same as mine okay but you knew because he talked about your fitness yeah yeah um and then from that that's when we talked about a plan okay so it wasn't really a frank conversation that you were like no you knew you came with it you jumped in the car in the pouring rain yeah and said you know i i didn't make it you know, he said, I, my fitness level, like, so there, that became a gradual conversation of what can we do? So when is there a point, is there ever a time that there, it makes sense to have a frank conversation with someone? Like, does that ever move the needle for those people? Not unless they have an awareness of it. Okay. Like if you try to present something to someone without them having any awareness that it's an issue you are going to get a defensive barrier yep. immediately yep. so many times when i talk to parents Kevin's taking notes that's why I'm <laughs> right. He's right you both yeah. you both have to come along on the journey together yeah because otherwise mm-hmm. i don't feel like you're with me and i talk to parents about that that we need to be on the journey together with your son or daughter in order to get everyone to buy in if you you come across as an expert or you know you're giving rules and ideas same thing if someone has a mental health struggle don't be their expert right you're not the expert because you probably don't have that no you need them to come along in the journey with you Mm. so i understand this is hard what can i do to support you i understand that there are things that you want to change how can i help you yeah. but as soon as you separate yourself out of the journey your effectiveness tremendously drops mm. yeah that's <laughs> preach <laughs> that's all that you can put a period after that <laughs> that was yeah that's great that's great so what what are the biggest questions that you ask back to that person? So I heard one what? is, well, how do you feel about the, how do you feel about the situation? Yeah. Or what, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? What else do you have in your dual dual chest over there? She's lugging around. <laughs> yeah, it sounds heavy. It sounds like it's heavy. <laughs> Snap on tools. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really just honestly try to to meet the person where they are. And, and it's, it sounds easy, but it's a very difficult thing to do. So when, when Colton talks about certain aspects of, of eating and certain aspects of the job and certain aspects of fitness, there's always something that they've already have an awareness of that you try to help them get there. Mm. 
because that's where you springboard off of. You can't change what you don't know. Right. You can't change. You have to acknowledge it first and then work through it together on the journey. And one of the biggest lessons for me this year that has solved the binge, or I would say for the most part, pretty much solved it this year was I've started asking questions when there's an experience that is very quick and it doesn't feel like I understand why it happens. I reach out to her and I'm like, why do I feel this way about this situation? So I'm almost proactively trying to figure out what is ultimately the result of what what just happened. Like, why did certain things happen? I'm trying to even get like situations at work or with a colleague or with a girl or something. It's like, why did I feel this way about this? I'm more exploratory now about my thoughts so that something like a binge eating doesn't happen. So I'm more proactive in the emotions that I don't understand. And I think that is probably what has solved a lot of the binge eating thing. Because even a couple weeks ago, I was very serious. I called you and I was like, what is going on with me right now? And you're like, you are emotionally spent. And you weren't comfortable with that. Right. And in the past, your escape would have been binge eating. Right. And if you, when you flee from something like that, it, it never allows you to work through it. And I think that was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Colton, the uncomfortableness was facing the feeling of being emotionally exhausted. Yeah. And I think you found that working through it was painful. Yeah, because the addiction that I created for myself, bro, I felt exactly as terribly physically. Even though I didn't binge eat at all, I was literally, Monday morning rolled around, I felt just physically horrible. Because my body was so used to that experience of just feeling physically horrible from being burned out. That is, that's wild. It's weird. Bro, yeah. It's weird. I, I mean, I know this podcast. Human body's strange. <laughs> I was so programmed for that, dude. I was so programmed to just feel awful after a weekend of doing nothing because it would have been um, in, intertwined with eating like shit. Eating 12, 12 dozen 12 dozen donuts. 12 dozen. <laughs> <laughs> Krispy Kreme. Uh, I saw the Wawa headquarters on the way here. So what? They got some good donuts at Wawa. Do they? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Over at Wawa U. <laughs> I'm locked into my company. No, not going anywhere. Oh, okay. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> All right, relax. So what, what tools did you use for uh, to get over that that weekend? YouTube. I just shut off. I didn't, I mean, I, I oh, here's the biggest Decompress. Tool. I set boundaries. This is an area I think one, one thing I've become very successful at in the last year was boundary setting for me. It, it, it looks at how I allocate my time and what is most important to me. There are very few people I will adjust my boundaries for with respect to allocating time to them. So I had three events planned the weekend that I was emotionally spent, canceled literally all of them. People asked why I didn't respond because I was just like, dude, I'm not answering. It's like, it's my decision. There it is. And so it's boundary setting. It's what's most important to me. And candidly canceling three events that were kind of I mean, they were with family members. They were with the CrossFit gym. I was just like, nope, not going because I won't show up the way I want to. And compound that, imagine if I was drinking and went, oh, my God. We're talking a depressive state for a week. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. But I think boundary setting was the biggest tool for me. I mean, I, I think it has been one of the biggest ones for me this year, too. Like with relationship with my father. Uh, yeah, boundary setting is a big one. And, and we did talk a little bit about... The takeaway being 
when you when you are scheduling things mm. that the realization of schedule some downtime i, I got yeah. away from it for the month and I oh think, you did well no i scheduled my days but the schedule was calls until 8 p.m and it's just like my body didn't have that in it in, it, in itself anymore no, yeah, you gotta schedule that downtime, dude. Yeah, you shut up, dude. Yeah, you do. <laughs> shut up. You do. Tell me what to do. I'm offensive about it now. No, you're right. 100. Right. No. 100. Right. No, you're not. You're not 22 year old Colton just out of college. You don't have those. You don't have the those MPGs anymore. Don't, <laughs> That's all I got, man. I mean, do you have any other questions? You didn't want to get into anything else? I thought you wanted to get in a couple. More I mean, questions, are there but... any other tools? I guess you saw me develop in the last four years that maybe I maybe do a little bit more intuitively now that I don't recognize because I think I was a pretty I would say I was not lost coming out of college but I was really starting to get my footing and I think I found it quickly in different areas but maybe I'm not even conscious about some of the things I've learned in the last four years that you've heard me talk about situations differently or I don't know how my outlook has been well I think an important skill you have an awareness of and you've been working on is the black and white right so for Colton, the world is on, 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 or dark. Right. And we've talked about dwelling in the gray and, and understanding that that's, where, that's probably where the healthiest area is. Sure, when you're on laser-focused, there's things that come from that, but there's also a cost. Right, right. Yeah, you got to acknowledge the cost for sure. I guess the area I would say I've gotten better at with that is maybe a little bit fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm realizing it's not as huge part of my life. I don't know what what other areas have I gotten better with the gray. Well, I feel like, I feel like you've taken fitness and you're using it more as a tool rather than an escape. And it, yeah, correct. Right. For sure. Now, like it's more you're doing things that are enjoyable physically, mm-hmm. not not because you feel like you have to. Right. Yeah. Right. So you were laser focused on the Iron Man. (laughs) When that was done, there was sort of that awareness of gaining time and gaining your life back because you sort of became a captive of your program. Like, this is what I'm going to do. This like, despite maybe there were days that would have been a gift of time to do something else. But being focused is okay to a point. Right. You've reached your goal. Now it's okay to have some other goals. And have some other things that you enjoy. Yeah. And I think gray area on food, I've gotten better with that. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I th- maybe the gray area, any other tools from a relationship standpoint? I'm trying to think. I'd say boundaries is a big one I've learned with respect to relationships. But I just mentioned that. Any other ones, Mom? No, I think that's it, Colton. I mean, it, it's been a tremendous growth if I look from college to now. It, some people don't even get there until they're in their 30s and 40s. So you've done a lot of work. I appreciate that. Last one I'm going to say is intentional. We've talked about that so much on the podcast. It's just like intentionally building things that I want. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being a, not a victim, because that's the wrong word too, but just being a creature of like the people I'm around and just moving with society. Yeah. You know, it's just like, all right, you know, society wants to work a nine to five. That's not really that's not me you know that's not what i want here's i'm going to be intentional about trying to get a promotion early or whatever it is Mm -hmm. what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten i think um when my father was so very very ill he said to me 
make sure you spend your life doing what you love because you may not have the opportunity when you're done with your working years to do anything different. And I remember that. I mean, that's what led, sure, education and counseling doesn't provide with this huge income, but it, it is what I love. It's what I feel is my you know, passion. So I followed what he has said. And that was from a man who was at the very end of his life. I think he died a month later. But that was something very important to me. And I think if you listen to this episode, I saw how intently and focused and passionately you're speaking in the beginning about the mental health things. It really reigns true. So I'm so grateful that you found that path and something you really, really love. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. It was great getting together. Oh, thank oh you, yeah, that was awesome. Peace. That's a wrap on it. That's a wrap. Five episodes. Peace.